The scripture this morning is Philippians 3, verses 13, 13 and 14. Um, the version I'm reading is different than what Daniel read. And I'm going to start in the last part of verse 12. It's, so please stand for the reading of God's word. It says, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. They're all shriveled, they're browned out, they're dried up, but plenty of these leaves are still hanging on. This tree has carried last year's leaves into Would you like to know why that happens? Got a short biology lesson? Okay. Uh, normally, um, where uh, the stem of the leaf meets uh, the branch of the tree or the stem that it hangs on to, usually because of the shortening of days, photoperiodism it's called, that leaf knows that it's fall and it's about time to fall off. So it forms what's called an abscission layer. It's a layer of cells that basically cut, cut off the supply line from the tree to the leaf. Then it changes color and then it dries up and then it falls off. That's normally what's supposed to happen. But I think what happens, and it has in the last couple of years, we get these cold snaps, and it kind of uh, interrupts that process. And so my neighbor's leaves, my neighbor's tree still has its leaves. Um, I don't want us to be people that are hanging on to 2020's leaves. All right? Did you know that the month of January got its name from, the, from Caesar, who named the month for the Roman god Janus, the two-faced god, one face looking forward, but the other face looking back? As Pam uh, told us so well this morning, the Apostle Paul sometimes uses athletics to illustrate scriptural truths. More than once, he pictures the Christian life as a race. 
Um, in 1 Corinthians 9.24, he writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So running in such a way as to get the prize means, as Pam's already told us, we don't look back. I remember um, uh, my, my college track coach, uh, if he saw us looking back during the race, he would pull us aside afterwards and have a conversation with us. Uh, and for good reason. Um, see, a runner's focus is to be forward. Toward the finish line. Not on what is behind him or her, because looking back can cost you. I want to share this article. Um, I love it when Paul uses racing things because that was my sport. I ran. So um, I I relate to this. And this is from an article from Women's Running uh, in 2018 by someone named Hannah Hartzell. And she said the title of this article is Don't Look Back. She, She looked back, my dad said, slowly shaking his head. I glanced at the screen as the distance runner crossed the finish line and into the threshold of athletic greatness. The American flag was draped over her shoulders and tears ran down her cheeks as she realized she'd just won an Olympic gold medal. 5,000 miles away, I was in awe of the scene. My young mind was thrilled by the enormity of such success, but I was also confused. Why did that quick glance over the shoulder matter, and why had she done it? Fast forward 14 years, I'm nowhere near Olympic caliber, but I've run enough races to know why. In 99% of racing situations, looking back is not a smart idea. Why? Because it signals a negative shift in the mindset of an athlete. When a runner looks backwards, it is typically because they are afraid someone is catching up with them they are no longer running to win. They're running to avoid losing. Here's a great illustration of this. I don't know if, how many of you ever heard of the name Roger Bannister. Hey, good. Good for you. He was the first person to ever run a sub-four-minute mile. He did it in 1954. The next month, Australian John Landy broke that record by 1.4 seconds. In August of 54, the two fastest mile runners in the world met for an historic race at the British Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada. The race being dubbed the Miracle Mile, the Race of the Century, and the Dream Race. As Bannister and Landy turned for the last lap, Landy was ahead and looked certain to win. But as he neared the finish line, he lost focus and allowed his mind to wonder about Bannister's position. Unable to stand the strain, he looked back over his shoulder, and as he did so, his stride faltered, and Bannister passed him to break the tape. Oh, that's why Coach used to tell us, don't look back. You know, in some ways, um, 2020 was a memorable year, and others, forgettable. Paul tells us to forget what is behind. That's not easy to do, right? I mean, if when you've lived something, you've experienced it, it, it's hard to do. Yet, I think life 
is less than what it could be or should be if we keep carrying around the stuff of yesterday or last year. They, those things weigh us down. Paul said we are to forget. And he didn't mean erase the past from your memory, but the past is not a place to stop, but a place to build upon. So, Paul tells us, forget what's behind. And I think what Paul's talking about are those kinds of negative things in our lives that sometimes we carry with us. Because I think there's some things we should not forget. And let me focus on a few of those this morning. First of all, successes. Now, if we've experienced success in some area of our our lives, first of all, we need to give credit where credit is due for those successes. And if, if you're a Christ follower, you know where that success comes from. Then we need to build upon those successes. In other words, well, well, I made it. I can stop now. No, we need to build upon those things. So we need to look back and not forget the successes we've experienced. The next thing we need to do is we shouldn't forget lessons learned. Hopefully, through what, because of what we've been through this past year, we've learned some lessons. They may have been hard ones. They may have been reinforcement of lessons we already knew, but we learned some things as we traversed our way through what was an unprecedented and for some people very difficult year. But isn't it interesting how God uses those things to teach us so much? If it continued to be smooth and rosy and easy sledding, we probably wouldn't learn anything. So we need to look back and remember what lessons, what things did God teach me as I navigated my way through the year 2020. And then we need to remember priorities that might have been realigned. You know, um, being stripped away of so many things that we were stripped away of helps us think about the things that really count. Here are the things that really should be priority in my life. Family. Worship, my relationship with God. You know, because so many of this extraneous stuff was stripped away, we had opportunity to focus on things we might not normally have taken time to focus on. So for a lot of us, we were able to realign our priorities in 2020 because of the kind of year we went through. You know, in Hebrews, it talks about God shaking things so that What remains is the unshakable. I think that's what God was doing in a lot of our lives through 2020. He shook away a lot of that stuff that really wasn't important, but that got a lot of our time and attention. And what was left are those things that are unshakable. Well, and then there are things we should forget. Hebrews 12.1, using the racing theme again. And again, we don't know who wrote Hebrews for sure. It might have been Paul. might have not have been Paul, but... Here's the racing theme again, and the author of this book writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. Well, so there's stuff that can hinder us as we move into 2020, unless we're able to jettison that stuff. What are things we should forget? First of all, sins forgiven. 
sins forgiven. Satan is good at bringing up stuff that we brought to Jesus and asked forgiveness for and making us feel guilty over that. Isn't he? He's good at that. Oh, wait a minute. Are you sure? Or, you know, that was pretty bad. Do you think God could really forgive you for that? And the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And folks, you know who John was writing to in 1 John 1 9? He was writing to us. He was writing to the church. Remember that. If we brought those things to Jesus and dealt with them, we can't carry them with us anymore. There's no looking back at past sin. He forgives it. I'm speaking of God. He forgets it, and so should we. And then, um, oh, by the way, too, as I mentioned already, if you're struggling with that, it's Satan that's reminding you of those things. It's not God. If Jesus has forgiven you, he's forgiven you. The next thing we need to forget are failures. And, And Pam, you did a good job with this because sometimes we make... Well, some of us like to make New Year's resolutions, and we've got great plans to do this and this. I'm not talking about sinful things here, but I'm talking about goals we set or plans we had or maybe some changes we wanted to make in our lives. And we started the year off thinking, yes, this is a year that's going to happen. And, and then the year happened, and the year happened a lot differently than we thought it would happen. And those things that we wanted to happen didn't happen in our lives, and we feel like we've failed. You know, I want to do this. Uh, I've got plans to make this change in my life, and we went in with good intentions, but it didn't work out. Someone has said this, but let us not forget our, let us, excuse me, but let us forget our failures insofar as these might paralyze our hopes or make us fancy that future success is impossible where those past failures frown. In other words, I bombed, I might as well give up. No. Never let the past limit your hopes of the possibilities and your confidence in the certainties and victories of the future. Most of us know that Babe Ruth held the home run record for a long, long time. Do you know what other record he held? Strikeouts. Winston Churchill said, success is the ability to move from one failure on to the next. In other words, you keep trying. Abraham Lincoln in 1831 failed in business and went bankrupt. In 1833, he got back on his feet and failed again. In 1835, his fiancée died. In 1836, he had a nervous breakdown. In 1838, he ran for Speaker of the House and was defeated. In 1840, he he ran to be an elector and was defeated. In 1843, he ran for Congress and was defeated. In 1848, he ran for Congress again and was defeated. In 1855, he ran for Senate and was defeated. In 1856, he ran for Vice President and was defeated. In 1858, he ran for Senate again and was defeated. In 1860, he was elected President. Probably one of the greatest who ever lived. 
He moved from one failure to the next without quitting. Success is getting up just one more time than you've fallen. We need to love our failures behind. And then we need, you know, I, uh, this next one, I, I said we need to leave our hurts behind. I'm not sure that's the best word. Maybe it's applicable to you. But I think maybe another good word there would be disappointments because I think we had a lot of those this year. We had a lot of disappointments. You know, uh, I, I, I've said this from the pulpit as we entered into the fall season and Thanksgiving time and December and Advent and there's so much we do as, as a church body to celebrate in that season. There was a lot of things we couldn't do this year because of COVID. That was disappointing to me. Because I enjoy those things so much as a, as a church family. Did you have plans that were foiled? A job that was affected? Family that you weren't able to be around? Disappointments. Maybe hurts, you call them. You were hurt by those things. Well, we need to leave those things in 2020. When we hang on to these things, they can become an anchor that keeps us from moving forward toward the prize. And Paul says two times in, in per, very, pretty close proximity in this passage that we're supposed to press on. We're moving forward, folks. We're not stuck in 2020. Now, obviously, there are some things from 2020 that we should take with us. And I've mentioned those, but really, our focus is forward, not backward. If there are battles to be fought, they are in front of us. If there are victories to be won, they are in front of us. If there is work to do, it's in front of us. If there are souls to be won, they are in front of us. We need to press on. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19, the prophet said this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Yes. Pretty encouraging. So, no matter how 2020 impacted our lives, we look forward, number one, with hope. Romans 12, 12. Paul says, be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope. We can be joyful because we have hope. We always have hope. Um, someone has said we are prisoners of hope. It's just, it should be who we are. Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are His house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Paul again writes, Therefore we do not lose heart. We do not lose hope. Though outwardly we're wasting away, and boy, I feel that. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Who was I talking to on the way this morning? I, yeah, you, Bob. Our bodies just aren't what they used to be. Outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Can you believe Paul wrote that? 
Light and momentary, we think, man, this is lasting forever. When was 2020 ever going to get over? Think about what Paul went through. How many times he had 40 lashes less one because they thought 40 would kill you. And he was stoned and he was shipwrecked. And he was beaten. And he went hungry. And he was cold. And he was run out of town. And he said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What a great perspective. I've always admired, I just see Paul's eternal perspective in in that verse. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The beginning of that verse, therefore we do not lose heart. We don't give up hope. We are to be people of hope. We should always be people of hope because we serve an almighty, sovereign God. And because of that, then we look forward with faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-9 But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Here we go. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We have this all-surpassing power who is from God. Do you believe this? See, that's faith. Do you believe this? Do we believe that God is in control and that He is for us and not against us? Do we believe that? That's faith. We go into this new year with faith in a God who will lead us through it. You know, I don't know if He's going to part the waters or make us swim across, but He will lead us through it. And then we look forward with willing hearts. And what I mean by this is a willing heart is a heart that will obey. The key word here is obedience. You know, just because of what has transpired in our country, God does not want us to give up, step back, put it in neutral and coast. Oh, why bother? The scripture tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. That means we have to keep moving forward. You've heard me say this before. Gates are a defensive structure. So we have to assault them. We have to keep moving forward. We, I, I think sometimes we've kind of looked at the gates of hell as, yeah, you know, are we going to be able to survive the gates of hell? No, they're hoping to survive us. And the scripture tells us that they're, it's not, they're not going to. So we need to commit to fulfilling the mission God has given us. We must evangelize, disciple, give, pray, serve, worship together. We must stand uncompromisingly on the truth of Scripture and be willing to deal with the pushback that may come from it. But that is what Christ's followers with willing hearts do. You know, something that thrills us about our daughters. Um, one right now lives in uh, Vancouver, Washington. Another lives in Wenatchee, Washington. One lives in Portland, Oregon. But they all have incredible churches that they attend. 
And young pastors that I mean preach the truth of Scripture unapologetically. Yes. Now, a word of caution from your pastor. Because I think there's some temptation. Maybe considering especially the events of this past week. I don't know how you looked at those. But I know for some of us, it brought up some pretty strong emotions. And don't let those emotions determine your response. There's no doubt that the spiritual climate in our country is changing pretty rapidly. I think the freedom of religion that we have enjoyed our entire lives, and we have, is increasingly at risk. And that worries some of us, and perhaps it should. But when I look at the New Testament, I don't find a single word of criticism from Jesus or the apostles concerning the rulers or regimes under which they lived. If you can find that, let me know, but I don't see it anywhere. The leaders they lived under came into power by hook and by crook and military overthrow and coup and sometimes just by all-out murder. You just assassinate the guy who's in office and take over. In other words, the New Testament Christians had no say in the matter. They didn't get to cast a ballot. They probably didn't get to register their displeasure with what was happening because the Romans wouldn't stand for it. But in the, New, in the New Testament, there is no complaining about those in authority. Just a lot of instruction on how to live for Jesus in the political and cultural climate they found themselves in. So here's what the Bible says. Jesus said in Matthew 22:21, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it, Paul writes, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, including, verse 2, kings and those in authority. What? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. In 1 Peter 2, chapter 13 and 14, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Not always easy. But Jesus never promised that the Christian life would be easy anyway, did he? In fact, he said, In this world you will have trouble. But don't be afraid, I've overcome the world. So we need to obey these scriptures in as much as they never cross the line that would call us to be disobedient to God. That's where we draw the line. Then we cannot be obedient to those authorities. And remember this. Daniel the prophet speaking. Chapter 2 Verse 21 of of Daniel's book. He says, He, speaking of God, changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. God could do that any moment if he wanted to. 
You know, after the uh, 2016 election, I remember Christian people on social media, some of them my friends and family, saying, he's not my president. And I remember, and by the way, I don't do Facebook, and so I don't verbally joust with those people that I disagree with, but I remember thinking, you need to read your Bible. And so even today, there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who have suffered some form of persecution maybe all their lives. See, we're thinking, oh, it's getting tough for Christians. These people have grown up with persecution. They've never known anything different. All their lives, because of their faith in Jesus, they've never known what it was to have freedom of religion. Never. We've had it good, maybe too good for too long. And we've become soft. We've lost our edge. We really haven't lived in true, absolute dependence on God because we haven't had to. And I'm speaking to me too. No man can save us. I don't care if it's the man who lost the election or the man who won the election. Perhaps that's why we find ourselves in the place we do now. We've put too much hope in man. And folks, we need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood because that, well, it's true. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We don't fight then in the same way as the other guys do. We don't use their tactics. We don't fight fire with fire. See, there is danger. There is a danger in responding in kind, which can cause us to lose, lose sight of God's call on us to do these things. Love our enemies, bless those who persecute us, and be peacemakers. You know, at the last of Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It goes back, Dean, to what we heard a few years ago at our district assembly. We have to be careful not to be angry at the harvest. No matter how they oppose us. 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And when we engage folks on the other side of issues that we believe in, we are to speak the truth with grace and love, gentleness, and respect. And by the way, if we seek to speak the truth, we better know what the truth is. I think that's part of the problem. And we find the truth in God's Word. We must be students of God's Word. So I want to close with this. I love this song. It was written back in the 15 or 1600s. And I don't... uh, Catherine von Schlegel wrote this. It's called Be Still My Soul. I don't know what she was dealing with or what was going on in her world at that time. I looked her up. They said, we don't know a lot about her. But here's how this song goes. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. 
Be still my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. We see through a glass darkly right now, but someday it's all going to be revealed to us, isn't it? Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know His voice who ruled them while He dealt, dwelt below. So here are some ways I pray for me. And maybe you'll want, you'll want to pray for you. Back in the book of 1 Chronicles, there had just been a transition of power. Saul was gone. David was now king. And in chapter 12, probably 11 through 13, somewhere in there, they talk about, um, you know, there had been a lot of turmoil in, in Israel at that time, but they talk about the tribes and how many warriors came from each tribe to support David. And I don't remember how many came from this tribe, but this is what it says about them. The men, it says, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. God, help me understand the times so I know what to do. That's my prayer. And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And we're probably... These are one, this is one of those passages that many of us are familiar with. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding. We have a tendency to believe, you know, if we see it with our eyes, oh boy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you the path to take. I pray that for myself. Here's another one. That he will give you a, an understanding of his will with all... No, a knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I would like to know that. I want a knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And if I'm going to do anything, that's what I... I'm going to do God's will. Is that, is that what you want to do? That's what we should be doing. Amen. God help us. But we're people of hope. We're people of faith. We're people with willing hearts. And I believe there's a lot of hope for 2021. You might look around now at the circumstances in our country and in our world and in our own lives and say, oh boy, it looks bad, but God's way ahead of us. He's way ahead of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, that our confidence can be in you who know all, who see all, who can do all. Father, you, you walk with us through the years of our lives. You're walking with us now, but you're also way ahead of us. And help us to seek you. Help us to be people of hope and faith and with willing, obedient hearts. And help us not to get up on, caught in the, the tactics that so many in our, our, our world use. It's been... It's been so dividing. Families have been divided. Churches have been divided. Friendships have been broken. Because people have different points of view. Because I didn't like the way this turned out. And I did like the way this turned out. And Lord God, 
guard our hearts from giving, getting caught up in that. We, our weapons are not the weapons of this world. They're divine. And they have power to, to bring down strongholds. And when we do have the opportunity to, to engage others in conversation and discussion, help us to share the truth with grace and love and with gentleness and respect. We do not fight fire with fire. We are called as followers of Jesus Christ to live differently in this world. And maybe for us in our lives, it's never been put to the test more than it is right now. And Lord God, with the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, I pray that we will pass the test. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.